Hey, y'all. You're listening to Diagnosing Sitcoms and Movies, the DSM podcast. We help make mental health more comfortable by using Black movies and shows we know and love and culture to remove stigma. So join our convo with your host, Courtney Copeland, licensed mental health counselor. And Dr. B, licensed professional counselor. Courtney, we have one of my favorite professionals as our guest today. Not only is she your favorite professional. (laughs) No, 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 no. no. You're like one of my favorite friends. (laughs) One of my favorite sisters of masters program. But no, no, no. This is one of my favorite professionals. And she happened to to take on, I don't know if she officially did, but I'm going to put it in here that she is my mentor. All right. You speak that out into existence. Yeah. (laughs) Just to see how well you'll be able to get in contact with me. You know, so I won't get. I'm hard to catch up with. (laughs) I'll be on the line, you know, I'll be like, oh, wait, I'll I'll, I'll hold. But this is the lovely Dr. Aisha Dickerson. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you all for having me. I'm looking forward to it. I I listened to some other episodes and they sound like a ton of fun. So I'm ready. Yes. (laughs) So I like it I, when people say a ton of fun other than y'all sound a hot mess. Facts, <laughs> facts, facts. Because if it was if it was something like that, I'd be like, damn, we got to maybe change it up a little bit. <laughs> but this is who we are. This is take us as we are. Well, I appreciate your authenticity. I will take you yeah. as you are. Thank you. Thank you. So it seems like we have one of your favorites that we're going to be talking about today. Yes. All right. So we have what? What's our, what's what's your favorite movie? Well, it's it's one of my favorites. I have three favorites. So my okay. my, my other two favorites are The Wiz and Coming to America. But um, Harlem Nights, I absolutely yes. love. I, I was just talking about the movie with my kids the other day because yeah, every now and then I bring up something. They're like, "What is that?" And then I'm like, "I have failed as a parent." What, what'd you say? <laughs> <laughs> what we line have to install did you use? <laughs> these gems the, in these children. <laughs> it was about um, somebody leaving a swallow of the juice uh, in the in the refrigerator, yes. just drinking it. Like they were like, "What are you talking about?" I was like, "Just a, they were like a swallow." I was like, "Y'all don't remember Swallow. that from Harlem Nights?" And then they were like, "Harlem Nights." Now uh, I have failed you as a black oh. mother. You should have oh. watched this by now. You're still catching it though. Like it's it's okay as long as you're okay. catching it as okay, a parent. Good. Like you still speak yes. to your children so that you you're still instilling the parenting is a lifelong job. <laughs> I appreciate that because every now and then, you know, some they were they do something to remind me that they're suburban and I just you know, I has successfully stopped the cycle of poverty and I don't have a cousin in the projects to drop them off with because my mom used to just drop me off in the hood. When I start, <laughs> I, I don't that have any baby kid. She was like, you know, yeah, just acting too privileged. Just let me go ahead and drop you off with your cousin. And- well, see, that's why I'm thankful that we have movies such as the, the <laughs> 1989 classic Harlem right. Nights, <laughs> written and directed by Eddie Murphy, so that, you know, the kids, they still can learn. Right. A distance learning, a little virtual learning, never exactly. hurt nobody. <laughs> I love Don't that. Drink it down to a swallow and put it back no in the refrigerator. Sense. You should have just finished it. Don't put it back in the refrigerator with just a swallow in the container. I get my mouth all set for some orange juice, and it's just a swallow in the container. Well, swallow it and shut the fuck up. You blind motherfucker. You fat bitch. (laughs) That's it. I have whole other bottles of juice under the cabinet. Just finish it. (laughs) 
But now, had they ever said, well, swallow it and shut the fuck up, it would have been a real oh, problem. You know what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Then it would have been, now nah, I got to cut you. But <laughs> nah, I got to cut you. <laughs> I don't think they're that, that. You know what? That's the positive part of them being suburbians, that they would not that come at so me true. like that. <laughs> right. Yep. That they gangster is not in them. It's not. It's <laughs> <So, laughs> funny. But with that, what are some of your other favorite quotes from the movie, aside from the swallow? <laughs> um, of course, uh, the part about, oh, now you're going to shoot me in my pinky toe. That's, that's, okay, that's, that's probably my that's number it. one line. The swallow yep, is number it. two. Shut me in my pinky toe. I'm going to put what's left of my foot in your ass. I'm going to kill him. Yes. Um, and and when Della Reese is going off about she controls all the money in the whole house. And the hoe. <laughs> <laughs> when she said, I'm an honest hoe. And right. all my hoes are honest. honest. Right. <laughs> Let them know. I, said, I well, am okay. in charge of the girls. <laughs> right. You in charge of the I'm in charge of the girls. <laughs> <laughs> She did not everything Bella Reese said. Yeah, everything she said was hilarious. And everything. her and Red Fox going back and forth. You better watch it quick. You fucking with a heavyweight. It was it. It made it made the whole movie for me. It right. was it was all I it needed. I, it spoke to my spirit. It That's did. what it, I agree too. It was <laughs> you know, it was decades later when I, I realized that she, I mean, even though she looked exactly the same, was the same woman from that TV show Touched by an Angel. It's like, you know, folks get old and start to find Jesus. And right. Not, like those two things can holes. exist inside of you. Uh, they right. can, you can love <laughs> the Lord true. and be an honest hoe. Like, <laughs> both you, of those yeah. can happen. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that's my number one quote for the day. I'm taking that with me. You can love the Lord and be an honest hoe. I like there it. There you go. That's the hoes love the Lord. <laughs> yes, they do. It's what keeps them honest. Yes. You know, honestly, she was the only one that I felt said kiss my ass the most in this movie. Yeah. Kiss my ass, sugar. <laughs> kiss my entire ass. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I don't give a shit. Kiss my entire ass. And then she told Red to kiss her ass, and then he, she said, I would tell you to kiss my ass, too, but you probably can't find it, you blind motherfucker. <laughs> Fuck you, bitch. <laughs> All right. Right. So, again, I think she has some of the best ones. But honestly, a little quick, but at the beginning, <laughs> he said, you ain't kicking shit. I was like, wow, what would you do if a kid said that to you? Like, I kick your ass. You ain't kicking shit. Like, I, I think I'd walk away from that fight. <laughs> I mean, well, the first thing I'm doing is looking around like, where's this kid's parent? Why are you out here? <laughs> and then, so, so of course, he asks, he asks, um, Sugar Ray asks, and he's he's like, where's your parents? And he's like, they dead, basically. And then he he's like, you kill them too? <laughs> <laughs> no, they just dead. <laughs> Honestly, that's a question I would have asked. Like, wait, you just shot this man in front of me. Right. You killed him? You gonna kill okay. me too? <laughs> that gangster was in him as a child. So he was. was not afraid. He had mm-hmm. it. So then uh, you might not want the gangster in your, ch- your child. I mean, oh, no, Quick no. had to be homeless and parentless mm-hmm. in order for him. <laughs> he right. did. He did. But he found what he needed eventually and came on up. Had a somewhat decent life before they had to leave Harlem. 
a decent like he almost got definitely agree it, it was still it was decent hey though. hey 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 exactly he was being taught <laughs> life lessons uh sugar really cared about him delarice that i love that little boy like he had a support yeah. system he had yeah. a job he was doing yeah. well for himself he was uh, mildly well adjusted considering except, the fact that both except, his parents was dead time out okay for a second i was on the mm-hmm mm-hmm and then I just realized he had a, a fight in the alleyway with Della. <laughs> like, how is that She healthy? told him that you have to chastise, chastise your children now. You're not going to call me no thief. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now so I get your ass outside. We got to go. You don't call me a thief. And so now. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And she was ready. <laughs> that, to her, that was her logical consequence. You call me a thief. We got to fight. <laughs> Makes sense. You to hit me. me with a trash can. Now nah, I got to cut you. Like everything nah, has a natural <laughs> consequence. I, mean, I don't know. If, if my kids call me a thief, I'm not sure we wouldn't be outside. Well, inside because it's hot right now. <laughs> but I'm not sure. I wouldn't lay hands on me. I'm like, oh, okay. That's what. Oh, we're okay. Doing. That's what we do. <laughs> so you gonna square up with a two, right? You know they like, can't fight. <laughs> just, right? Because they've never been in a fight. <laughs> because like, mommy never. But they have to show. No, they're going to start crying. Right. I'm sorry. Calling people. <laughs> they're going to be like, come get her. <laughs> My mom. <laughs> and they're going to be like, who? They're going to be like, we're on the way. We're we are ready right. now. <laughs> but I mean, Quick was already killing people. So she knew, like, I can't just talk to you. I'm not just about to yell at you mm-hmm. and you learn the lesson. I got to put my hands right. on Right. She's got, she had to earn, well, she felt like she needed to earn more respect because she thought yes. she had his respect. And then when she found out or felt like she did not, she wanted to earn a little bit more. And when she was on the ground at pound, that's what she said. <laughs> you going to learn to respect <laughs> me. And she exactly. got hit. They was like, you just mad because you got your ass whooped. Like, <laughs> <laughs> she said if you didn't have that gun, she'd still be whooping your ass. Exactly. <laughs> she sure would have been. Had him hemmed up in the corner somewhere. <laughs> I like Okay, this. so ladies, I have a question with mm-hmm. that. At first, I was like, okay, Vera, possibly disruptive mood dysregulation disorder, some of these angry outbursts. But then I said, no. Mm-hmm. I threw my pencil at everything. No, there was nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, nothing I, diagnosable I, about Vera. She I was just a so strong ever. woman. Yes, nope. she was a strong woman demanding respect in a mm-hmm. male-dominated space. And yes. there was, and she just had to assert herself to a specific yep. level. She had mm-hmm. to demand her respect from each and every single one of these gentlemen in order to keep her position strong and keep her position strong in front of the girls who she was in charge right. of. Right, okay. Because mm-hmm. she had to serve as an example for them too. So I'm, right. I am 100% with you. That's the same thing I was thinking when I, when I was watching it again, preparing for this is you know it's like most black women in America if I mm-hmm. go off if you do something to me and then I go off and cuss you out now I'm an angry black woman but that's yep. that's not what really happened this is me myself and taking up for myself after you offended me mm-hmm. right so I think she's again, a good like leader she had, I, right she had her girls I got my girls and my girls have seen me cuss people out at the grocery store before they've seen me throw people's bags off of the um at the airport, a woman put her bag in front of my youngest child's bag when we were in line to uh, get through security. And I picked her bag up and I threw it down. I told her, wait, you will respect my child. And I called That's her. right. So you, know, you got you to gotta be an example. 
for those mm-hmm. behind you. Otherwise, yes. you know, those girls were going to be hoes forever. And I'm sure they didn't want to be hoes forever. And then they might not have been honest hoes. And then they'd have fell yeah, into this right. evil. The devil is always working. Okay. Right. So she had mm-hmm. to keep her love for the Lord, giving her the strength. Mm-hmm. So she could do all things through Christ who gave her the strength <laughs> to command each and every individual around her. I feel yeah, like she ain't nothing but a good your leader. Su- your Sunday sermon. That's it. It is a little sermon S. <laughs> Where's the tithes and offering? But so back, she, back to what we were saying a little bit earlier, though, because we got on this by talking about quick, and I said yes. he had a he had a successful life. And Dr. B, you didn't, didn't sound like you agree with that, but you know you have to remember that your version of success and somebody else's version of success isn't necessarily the same thing. You know. You know what? You surely is right. You better get me together, okay? (laughs) Because perhaps having a gun drawn on me during sex is not as bad as I thought it would be. Well, that's what you used to. If somebody is is prepared, (laughs) if you are aware that somebody's going to draw their gun on you, would you not prepare? Like everything that he did, it was a result of a consequence of someone else's actions. Mm -hmm. He was going to stab us, so I shot him. He's trying to kill me, so I'm going to kill him. She had a, a pearl handle pistol under the pillow, so I put it was my so pearl cute. handle pistol under the pillow. <laughs> he said it was so cute. Ooh, I thought I was the only one that sat with my gun. <laughs> so excited. He was like, we have so much in common. And then it clicked like, oh, 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 she was about to kill me. Okay, <laughs> let me empty out these bullets and put it back where I found it. Gotcha. But anyhow, so I think, I think you're right. You're right. I should not say he's he wasn't successful despite all of the craziness. I mean, his life was totally set up for him Ooh. to be on mm-hmm. crack. Mm-hmm. It definitely was. Heroin would might have been a drug of choice. Heroin at the was time. that back then? Okay, thanks for remembering. Yeah. Okay, he was whatever. <laughs> he would have been on whatever was the number one drug at that time. His life was set yeah. up for that. Yeah. Parentless, living on the streets amongst violence and gangsters and prostitution. I mean, it's, it's amazing that he didn't end up in the worst position. Instead, he became an entrepreneur. Exactly. He did. Overseer wait, wait. of the bar and the craps table. Okay, I was about to say, so what was his position in the, at the casino again? Okay. All right. Well, all right. Fine. However, I did, however, I did, however, diagnose young quick. I don't like both young and older quick too. Okay, you go first. So (laughs) younger quick gets a reactive attachment disorder because he had he had no no cares about who or what (laughs) was going on. Like it he he didn't attach to anybody. Even when when uh, Sugar Ray was like, Yeah, I'll take you in, he's just like, cool. Right. (laughs) (laughs) He wasn't like Annie, like, yay, it's going to be a brighter tomorrow. Like, you know, he 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 didn't care. But I also gave him as an adult, an adult general personality disorder. Um, And I'll explain my rationale for that. But for now, the reactive attachment disorder, um, he uh, seemed emotionally withdrawn towards adult caregivers child rarely or minimally seeks comfort when in distress. He did not look distressed when he shot that gun. Nope. Um, He he did not look around for nobody to comfort him. And then persistent social emotional disturbance characterized by at least two of the following. Minimal and social 
emotional responsiveness to others. So again, the same reaction that he had with the adults talking to him, limited positive affect, and then exposed episodes of unexplained irritability, sadness, fearfulness that are evident even during non-threatening interaction with adult caregivers. So for that one, we I couldn't say that I see it, but for the other ones, I could yeah. say definitely. I'm with you. I, I had that down like um, in my notes too. That was that's definitely the one I would have gone with for him. Yeah, you, you're gonna have, have you got a little more explaining to do with your um, diagnosis for him as an adult because I'm. I'm Yes, I would like to challenge the uh, the adult <laughs> one, but you have changed my mind for the the child one because I was thinking so possibly do? ODD really? at first uh-huh. because like they give me five, I ain't giving you shit. Like just everything was a uh, met with that mm-hmm. oppositional um, kind of stance that he was taking. But I feel I'm feeling the rats. I'm feeling the rats. Well, of course, he could he could have both. But the thing mm-hmm. about the ODD is that it could definitely be attributed to the reactive attachment disorder. Right. And that's why mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I would do away with it altogether. If I went RADS, I'd probably do away with it altogether because I feel like it would be better explained by the RADS mm-hmm. and not want to, especially with the him having uh, a caring um, parental figure now, like I would want the outlook to be because diagnosis unfortunately do carry a certain level of stigma they do when people see certain diagnosis they um interact with people differently so especially as a child if i have the rats i'm gonna stick with that because we know need to know that there is a uh, instability in caregiving um figures and we need to stabilize that before we really work on anything else because once that was stable with sugar ray he was able to flourish so yes. yeah You've changed my mind. We're rats. Team rats. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for the general personality disorder, so it says an enduring pattern of inner experience and behavior that deviates markedly from the expectations of the individual's culture. This pattern is manifested in two or more of the following areas. Cognition, ways perceiving and interpreting self, others, and events. Um, affectivity, the range, intensity, liability, and appropriateness of emotional response, interpersonal functioning, and then impulse control. So the reason why I'm considering general personality disorder is that even though Ray did provide him some type of structure for his life, he wasn't able to kind of get to him on that emotional maturity level. So you could still see him operating childlike, like how he picked up the gun. at that initial scene, he was ready to pick up the gun and go head toe to toe with a gangster. And that's when Ray had to remind him, he's like, no, this isn't the type of person that that you want to go toe to toe with. Like this, this man is going to kill you and no one's going to care or, you know, and so he's like, he's still trying to train him and change him. And from being like, oh, let me go impulsively do this rather than, you know, thinking, taking his time to think things out the way that Sugar Ray did. So you saw that Sugar Ray came up with a plan. He, he created a plan and the, the plan wasn't only for himself, it was for everyone. Quick, on the other hand, was still operating from the, from the, the thought process of, of flight and fight, you know, flight or fight. And so with him being in that survivor instinct, he doesn't have the maturity level or the ability uh, cognitive, cognitively to have thought out some of the decisions that he made in the movie which is why it kind of carried the way it did. Had he just told Ray up front what was happening, 
things could have been been different. But because of the the context of how he took the situation and wanted to go gun first, that's why we ended up with the way the movie end, um, happened. That's my theory. Okay. I agree that he was emotionally <laughs> immature, <laughs> but I disagree with everything else. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else, fine, fine. <laughs> I feel like, because I, I feel like we see, between the two of them, we see a representation of fight or flight, where Quick is the fight and Ray is the flight. He's saying like, nope, we're going to go to a different place. We're going to set up shop there. Quick is like, no, we have to stay and fight. And I feel like what we're seeing is is more like, yes, the emotional immaturity. and But it's I feel like he's trying to assert himself as and establish his identity more so than anything else is I'm not a punk and like people don't get to treat me like this and me feel like it's okay and me not doing anything to respond it's it, to me it was more so him struggling with um how he presents himself in in the I guess criminal world because if he is then seen to be soft or have a weakness in certain areas then them you know interacting with other criminals that could be detrimental to him and so I felt like it was more so him like no I'm a man I'm asserting himself more because he's always been known to be Sugar Ray's you know son his boy his you know under him and he was like no this is where I put my foot down this is where I'm taking a stand and I'm not gonna tolerate that and yes I feel like he handled it emotionally immature I just think he's emotionally immature all the way around from the way he was responding to different stuff all the stuff with Dominique LaRue as well just screamed immaturity to me but not personality disorder because <laughs> you know that's so deep when you give somebody a personality disorder wait I thought this was a DSM podcast I mean it's so it's so deep and this is it's partly my bias based on what I've seen in clients when I think personality disorder I think hard like hard to deal with hard to, I, and it feels like somebody I could work with somebody that I could help so um, let's go with Courtney. You said oppositional defined disorder for him as a tri- as a child, and that's where I was going with him as an adult. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, which essentially a lot of children who are diagnosed with ODDS children end up being diagnosed with a personality disorder later in life. But 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 he's already an adult, and so you know, but not quick. <laughs> That's why I want personality disorder, because if you go with reactive attachment disorder, I feel like with good prognosis, a a person may not. And let me just say this. Any person that has had an experience of losing both their child and growing up in adverse, you know, environments, they're not going to always turn out to be criminals or hardened individuals. You know, Um, they can flourish and have healthy lives. So I'm not saying that, but based off of his trajectory from just the movie, I would go in to say pers- general personality disorder, like from, from the growth, from what I see. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, I'm just seeing general, um, what am I saying? Irritability and quickly mm-hmm. angering. And mm-hmm. I mean, just doing things that are against the rules. Like, I mean, his whole job is against right. laws. So that was the number one reason I was like, he's, he's oppositional and he's defiant. Someone else says, let's do A. He's like, no, let's do B. And mm-hmm. half the time, I'm not even sure he knows why. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, yeah. no, I just want to do something different just because I'm oppositional. 
or he has impulse control issues, mm-hmm. which well, is that- also a criteria of personality. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, being easily angered or easily annoyed, though, are like the top two for oppositional defiant disorders. That's true. And so I wonder, like, you know, well, first of all, we don't see a lot of Black men being diagnosed with general personality disorder, but we do see a lot of young Black men being diagnosed with oppositional defiant disorder. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if that's why we're hesitant with him in particular to not give him this type of diagnosis. Well, so I I can say possibly it's the, it's the same reason I'm hesitant to give any other black man that type of diagnosis because I'm always considering everything else that happened in the background to contribute to this like if you're if you're easily angered because people keep uh, do y'all cuss on this podcast I'm saying people yes. keep effing with you that's right you're okay <laughs> And you know, you're, you're, we were talking about how he keeps shooting people, but as Courtney yeah. was saying, those people are coming after him first. So his behavior, although it might not be the same way I would behave, it's clear to me that it's only because of the things that have been done to him. Mm-hmm. Even him fighting for this club, it's because here, here comes this white gangster trying to take over their stuff. You know, it's something he had no part in making a success. And so he's going to be oppositional. He's going to be defiant. He doesn't want to run away like a punk. He'd mm-hmm. rather pull out a gun and fight. If so I, had a I don't chance. want to give him a personality disorder. Yeah, if I had a chance to fight, I'd fight. Give me a a reason to fight, y'all. I was just about to say, you of all people. (laughs) (laughs) But also, I I don't want to attribute, um, I don't want to in any way put pathology with, I don't even like calling Sugar Ray's like a criminal element because it was limited opportunity. This is the 30s. There are uh, limited opportunities for people of color. They he built this business up, you know, on his own without any help from outside entities. Like it was really just his community, the people that he had around him helped build up this business. And uh, yeah, technically it wasn't legal, but even if he wanted to do a legal house like the Pity Pack Club, he wouldn't be granted the same you know, uh, licenses and different things like mm-hmm. that because he is a black man. And so like he even uh, Sugar Ray told him earlier, like, you're not a gangster. We run a, a dance hall like that. That's what we do. This is this is what we do. So he's saying like, yes, we, you know, double and dabble in this criminal element. But that's because this is how we make business. We're not necessarily like them. We're not doing what they do. And I think be that is where Quick was crying. Out, and that's too why I focus on his like his emotional immaturity is because for him to be 27 and him still trying to be asserting oh I'm not a punk oh this is you know this mm-hmm. is who I am we're gonna fight this way and I felt like a lot of that came for from him just being emotionally immature and feeling like this is how I have to react because we're in this criminal element and him feeling like we have to do it this way and Sugar Ray just being one being that parent figure and saying no I'm gonna I have a plan this is how we're gonna do it it's gonna take care of everybody and like taking those steps and really slowing him down, really just being like his old head to like show him like, no, there's a better and different way to go about doing things like this. And let's let them end up playing themselves because of their own biases and, and things that they're thinking. And I, that's why I, I just don't, I always have 
you know, I have a soft spot for my hoodlums. I love them. What's the time I mean, they just still, like you said, we don't want to call it criminal activity. Well, even though it, it, it really just was. But, you know, you just, the, the business did not have the support that mm-hmm. a white business would have, even so much as having the police come in to harass them. But back in the 30s, I mean, the police, mm-hmm. uh, we have issues with police brutality now, but back then, the police sole purpose was to keep with black people folks. In line. Right. Yeah. yeah. And not just keeping them in line, but, you know, put, putting them in the prison system so that they could work all the fields and stuff that they weren't working anymore. So they, they could have right. the free labor that right. they didn't have anymore. So they were going to get them for everything. Laying the rail racks. That's why he was right. president people so that they could build and, trains. And the coal mines. I'm from Alabama. So back in Pratt City, they would get put them in jail and put them on the coal mines, which is stupid right. stuff. Where they were going to die. They need the coal, but you know, these black lives, they didn't care anything about. They were rarely arrested for killing each other. Mm-hmm, they didn't care mm-hmm. anything about one black person killing another black person. Mm-hmm. Right. But you know, mess up some some white man's business. Then they were oh, coming yeah. after you. Doing Message. <laughs> <laughs> right. So this is like, th- and that's what's interesting about this movie because it, it definitely is showing the authenticity of that time by portraying the police officer in the way they did and harassing them. And then, you know, looking at, to me, I always felt like Black gangsters don't get as much of the glory and respect as like, uh, mafias and mobsters, mm-hmm. you know, and we've been around just as long, um, but we have also been overly criminalized for a lot of the things that they do as well. And um, I think here is obviously the perfect example. Here's this, this mafia guy telling the police officer to go mess with the black man. And it's like, wow, wow, wow. You know, I, I didn't want to go all the way into that. But of course, my mind, my adult mind, is like, wow, this is a lot deeper than it's just Sugar Ray's, you know. Mm-hmm. What, what was it? A, a, it wasn't a juke joint. It was a long error. It was yeah. a club. It was a club. club. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, to your point, that's definitely um, an issue. And it's also even been an issue with film. Like, there, there was lots of criticism surrounding um, Harlem Nights when it first came out and them saying, oh, it's too vulgar for this period piece. But like, all of Martin Scorsese's movies are set around, you know, these same times. Mm-hmm. And there's just as much vulgarity, if not more. And but those are critically acclaimed and profound. But for historically, all of uh, black film, there any movie that is about um gangsters or any, any in that fashion in any way it does not get the same type of critical critical acclaim it is always kind of looked down on lesser than when martin scorsese in all of his films in all of goodfellas and all of those are lifted up and praised and look at how accurate this is this is such honest depiction and all of these things mm-hmm. where our films are like oh this is a terrible like hood film it's a black film and well, it's not for anyone else like no <laughs> i'm tired of it It's because it was one, black. (laughs) And then two, it has majority black comedians starring, you know? And so then it kind of takes away the seriousness of it. And then on top of that, I feel like anything that has an added element of humor, I think um, doesn't get the same level of respect. 
Mm-hmm. You're, you're right there. I agree. I mean, and, and still, again, watching it now with a different lens, I see things that I didn't see, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago. Definitely not when it came out in 89. I'm not even right. sure. I'm not even sure if y'all were born by then, but I was I was a small child. So I, was in, <laughs> I think I might have been thought of. Maybe. <laughs> I was one. I was one. I was here. <laughs> but yeah, I, I agree. Like it, it doesn't seem like and it, it's great because you have so many generations of comedians. But it, it didn't seem as if it got the level of respect it should have because of the fact that there were so many. And it's like, how can we take you guys seriously? Like, this is this is a ha-ha. But even if culture. it is a ha-ha, give it its accolades for being a ha-ha. This I movie mean, because, was funny. Because you laughed right? throughout the movie. And just throughout, you know, from the that's beginning when you start to the giving end. your abs a little break from laughing. You know, something happens and you laugh again. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. From I the think- moment we see the toothless gamber, gambler. Right. <laughs> uh, snag a tooth. <laughs> I diagnosed him with, I didn't go full on um, paranoid personality disorder because we only see him in this one setting. But I just did say that he is struggling with some issues of paranoia from <laughs> his fear that children do uh, give him bad luck. And indeed, the child did bring him bad luck. But... <laughs> I mean, mm. he he may also have a gambling addiction because he, well. he wasn't mm-hmm. doing well. He just kept on trying and kept on trying until it was mm-hmm. well, That's a you problem. I, right. I, I just went to Vegas and I lost twenty dollars. I was done, done. Okay, I penny <laughs> penny slot. It's, <laughs> it's not fun for me to lose money. No, it hurt. I take that very personal. Yeah. So. He took mm-hmm. it personal as well because he said, you ain't just going to give me what I lost. You're going to give me everything you took it. <laughs> everything. <laughs> but that didn't work out well for him. Well, that, was back, that, was, that goes right. back to him being delusional. Like he just assumed <laughs> okay. that he was going to be successful in doing that. And I'm watching, looking at him with no teeth in his mouth. And I'm thinking, <laughs> man, I'm, I'm wondering if, if, if that's because of fights you've been in in the past or, you know, just... You're just not caring for yourself all right. around together. <laughs> but, but either way, the odds of you successfully doing what you thought you were going to make with a little knife, like guns, didn't exist. Right. And you going to stick how many people? Because he said, I'm going to stick you. I'm going to stick you. And so we just going right. to stand in line and let right. you know. Right. Just gonna get <laughs> my turn, my turn. <laughs> stick me now. <laughs> I'm going to stand real still. Just go for it. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and another one that I did not give a full um, diagnosis on, but had he not died, I would have liked to work with Tommy's brother on his severe grief and bereavement. Oh, the crying man? <laughs> oh, he has no name. Shoot <laughs> that little shit! <laughs> what the hell you think you do with that little shit? <sighs> that was funny, yes. <laughs> He was so upset. Stop it! Stop it! Don't shoot that little motherfucker no more! They ah. shot him up in the car. They was a mess. Oh, they was such a mess. <laughs> I'm gonna kill you quick! Quick! I'm gonna kill you quick! Right. <laughs> Friends, this is a perfect example as to why you cannot do things under emotional distress. <laughs> <laughs> Don't great do advice. it. Don't do it. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess a, the last one who I was not a full diagnosis because we just didn't have enough. But I did speak to Benny's um, agitation and irritability due to his denial of his vision loss. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what he says. I would just be pulling in V codes for him. I mean, he's yes. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, physical disability and it's just right. not something he was willing to embrace and accept mm-hmm. and make a part of his identity just right. struggling yeah you little adjustment issues with yeah. you know getting used to his his new uh level of ability <laughs> <laughs> or lack thereof <laughs> i've been calling these dice for 40 years <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I did. So speaking of V-codes, I actually did a V-codes for Sugar Ray. Okay. I gave him a V-code, V62.29, other problem related to employment because um, they were coming for his job, you know? Um, And then uh, V60.89. So I found this one. This one's Discord with neighbor, lodger, and landlord. I said that for the business part of it, his business at Sugar Ray is not necessarily his actual home. So that goes back to the employment. Um, it was the building owner though, won't he? Because he, he owned the, the sugar, the actual like candy store <laughs> that he was did. the front for the mm-hmm. under business. So um, yeah, but it wasn't necessarily his home. But yeah, I mean, discord with the neighbor. We'll call the, the, the supposed friendly neighborhood police officer the neighbor. Officer Calhoun with his oh. old raggedy ass. <laughs> it, He's just trying him. to make his money because he wasn't making as much money as he wanted. Just like a lot of exactly. police, op- police officers today. They exactly. don't get paid that much and this is a, a better, a quick come up. Where they can Shame. use their power where they have no power in other places. Exactly. Just I like hated his had. guts. And then my last um, V code is V62.4. Target of perceived adverse discrimination or persecution. So that's clearly evident from the um, officer or was he a detective or officer? In my mind, I'm just thinking officer. I mean, calling Mm -hmm. him a detective makes him sound more. He was a bum. That's what he was, a bum. Calling him a detective (laughs) makes him more important than I'm willing to allow him to. Okay. Right, right. We're just going to call him an officer. Yes. Yes. So those are those are the ones. And then I realized that we should write a letter to the DSM and tell them that they need to add a V code for police brutality. Oh, that's something. So, so you're going to write a letter to the American, um, yeah, the American APA. American, yeah, APA. They're not going to get it because I'm not going to. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, they would get it, and they would actually read it. <laughs> I had so much hope. Like, she just, right. just had it all sucked out of me. I was like, you know what? I could get behind that because that could be its own whole little subsection mm-hmm. of V codes. And it you could talk about brutality. You could talk about abuse of power. You could talk about, like, I I saw it all in my mind. And then she said she ain't writing it. So, She's right, well, and, and yeah. I, I, that's not something I'm willing to take off of your plate and write myself. So. Listen, I didn't want to write, I don't want to put it on my plate. I just put it out there for the listener. If you got, if you got <laughs> nothing you want, you, Get there, you go. Right there's a paper, a few articles. Take up that charge. Right, go for it. You do it. That's just the idea. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, somebody who I did give a full-on diagnosis to is Jack Jenkins. So was he supposed to be like the Jack Johnson of the time? 
Remind me. So Remind me of what he did. He uh, was the he boxer. Was the boxer. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yes, he was. That that was supposed to be what I read where, where they were going with that. So, yes, I fully diagnosed Jack Jenkins with a fluency disorder. <laughs> Aww. Aww. Well, well, oh, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and really, I don't think that it was a result of um, boxing because as we saw, he was beating the brakes off that white boy. So I don't think he really no, took no. too many punches it, to the brain where it was a traumatic brain injury. I really just felt like it was a fluency poverty. disorder. It, and, mm-hmm. you know, poverty and lack of edu- education. and Maybe he just, there wasn't a, um, a, a speech pathologist readily available in the Black community during that time. And they just weren't int- able to uh, <laughs> <laughs> intervene in his sound like, syllable. Was, rep- was that even a thing back then? Was speech? Probably not. Th- probably I'm, I'm, I'm going to look that up and see what speech pathology right. even I bet you they probably just put them in special education classes, like because he was fully present and aware and knew everything. But I'm sure they just labeled him as um, mentally retarded and kept it moving because they took little uh, consideration into communication disorders during that time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they didn't care. It's like just do something where you don't have to talk. I mean, my, my yeah. grandfather had a horrible stutter and he just went to the military. There's no chance mm-hmm. of him going to do something where I mean, he was a great man, but raised mm-hmm. kids who all went to college. But it started, especially when he got mad and started cuss, cussing us out. Did I it really? <laughs> As someone who has <laughs> suffered with a slight, very low uh, level spe- uh, speech impediment, don't make fun of us. Because when we get angry, that's when, and then when we get to stuttering, and then people don't take us seriously, it makes us more bad. <laughs> so we were, we were kids, so we look at him and try not to laugh. He's like, don't laugh, because he's going to hit you. Yes. <laughs> I don't even want to try to use my words no more. <laughs> I'm going to just use my hand. Give him time to get it out. He's a great man. <laughs> so based off of a quick Google search, speech pathology began to get recognition in the 1920s. Oh, okay. So they were around then. Well, However, but it, it was just it beginning, for us. It was right, beginning right, right. So to get it wasn't recognition. for us yet. Exactly. <laughs> That's when it got recognition. And then it probably didn't really get anywhere until later. Maybe <laughs> after winning this fight, he might have had enough money to, you know, hire somebody for a couple no, of months. But he wasn't. I no, mean, after black. winning the fight, he was he was successful in his desired field and so he may not he probably would not have felt that it was important for him to learn how to we didn't do media interviews and stuff back then yeah yeah. only if it was something that he wanted to work on right this wasn't like a big thing where you know the radio was coming to interview yeah (laughs) he didn't even do uh autographs (laughs) yeah mike tyson was actually the only boxer to actually get that type of like endorsement and like media attention Mm -hmm. as far as boxing is concerned so usually that type of you know attention would go to like football players and basketball players but yep i don't know uh sugar ray leonard wasn't getting because he, he was during his time, no, he um, was popular. He was that dude, especially Muhammad after Ali. he fought. Who happened to be in this movie? Roberto Duran. If you didn't notice, Roberto, uh, who is the security guard that comes to talk to Sugar Ray and whisper in his ear that Tommy and him is walking in, that's Roberto Duran. I kick his ass. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I kick his ass. That is no mas. I kick his ass is no mas. Same man. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you had no kick his ass. <laughs> well, well, but see, when it came to learning how to speak, 
Um, when, when I'm thinking, he, he, well, he was the one, I was about to say, he was by far, when I'm thinking about boxers, the one who needed the most assistance there. And yeah. you know, he felt like it was important. His his publicist and the rest of his team was like, it's mm. necessary. I mean, his voice alone, that's not something that they could fix. So they tried to no. fix other right. areas. Yeah. Hold on. My, yeah. Y'all, there's a really good document, a two-part document, <laughs> documentary series that you got to watch. With Mike Tyson, it's pretty dope. It gives you a really good highlight or, you know, view of him. Because I I was growing up, everybody was hating on Mike Tyson. You know, he was just this bad guy. Well, because, um, you know, they said he'd beat us. Well, his wife said Robin, he I was about to say, she said. Oh, it, it, it sounded like that, it was new to him. Because he didn't say it. Like, right. They didn't right. say it. She said it. And everybody was like, what? Including him? But yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see her, she barely got any any recognition after that either. They both ruined each other's career. I blame her mama. It's her mama and her mama's fault. And both of them suffered. And it was all her mama's fault. As someone who loves boxing. As someone who loves boxing and is a serious fan of Mike Tyson. And, and and just knowing the the history, I watched him a document, multiple documentaries, all the interviews, him telling the stories. It was all her mama. Her mama was a gold digging heifer. She was not an honest hoe, and she was out here <laughs> sending her daughter to go make that money for her. And Brad Brad Pitt won't make it enough money at the time, so she got her on to Mike Tyson, and they just she was sucking the both of them dry. Mm, okay, so back to Harlem Nights. I'm sorry, y'all okay, know how right, I get yeah. off. <laughs> Sorry, right. Yeah. Okay. So you asked if this was Sugar Who? The real, the boxer who? No, girl. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> we we don't right. We'd walk past that. Uh, Bugsy Calhoun. <laughs> the big, fat, nasty, greasy, fat, stank, bloated, cheese back, 12 sandwich eating bastard, Bugsy Calhoun. <laughs> I felt like that was an ad lib. Like <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is that how they said it in the movie? Right. Yeah, that's what Eddie that's called him. <laughs> but I feel like when Eddie was, he was just supposed to say Calhoun. He just added all yeah, that yeah. other stuff. It did. It would, yeah, he had to because he said fat twice. Like he was just like exactly. <laughs> fat again. <laughs> So I diagnosed him with full-on antisocial personality disorder. Me too. Um, but, yeah. and let me tell you. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> not going to make this because I, I brought up race enough today, but that was just ba- basic white privilege. And back then, you know, mm-hmm. Italians wanted to think that they weren't white, but they very much benefited off of being white Caucasian. Color. Yeah. <laughs> They, they, they didn't want to be white until like, it was, you know, right. they, they benefiting they, they, them they to be white. They benefited from being light bright. So, mm. you know, I'm with you. Antisocial personality disorder. Yes, full on for him. Yep. Oh, uh, tugboat bottom bastard. Uh, <laughs> I mean, so just the, the, the thought that he could just come up in and just take somebody's stuff just because he wanted yeah. it and mm. cause them harm and stress and just no just do it because I'm me and it's and I want it so it should be mine two-thirds of their profit you want two-thirds of their profit I mean that's just just selfish and d- d- what how are they supposed to keep on paying people like that it's like disrespectful that? no but I'm yeah, not they... surprised Mm-mm. 
And I mean, I think that was just another way from just push him out of business. Mm-hmm. Nice and slow. And then just, paya. Out. <laughs> <laughs> I might have stayed after I blew him up. Like, they, they, you blew him up. Like, well, agree. <laughs> Except, I mean, the police will come after them. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. They did the smart thing. Right. They but, did the smart yeah. thing. You have everything you need, just rebuild somewhere else. Because they did blow him up in Sugar Ray's house. You're right. You're right. They yeah. did what they need to do. They need to get up out of there. Mm-hmm. But I did feel like that he met the criteria as far as failing to conform to social norms with respect to lawful behaviors, as indicated by repeatedly performing acts that are grounds for arrest. But when you own the police department, it's kind of hard to get arrested there. Uh, deceitfulness, as well as irritability and, aggr- and aggressiveness. Reckless disregard for safety, more so um, in his case for others than it was himself. And then lack of remorse as indicated by not as being indifferent or rationalizing, hurting, mistreating or stealing from another. Because he thought it was a fair offer for him to just take two thirds of their money and give them one third like that made sense. Yeah, I'm not even sure he believed that that was that that was fair. He just it was no remorse for it, though. Right. Definitely. (laughs) You are 100 percent right with that. He did not give one shit. (laughs) You're right. I did want to ask, though, what were you guys' thoughts on Dominique LaRue? Because I was like, is that or after a while, I felt like, no, she was really just completing a job. Like options are limited during that time. This is an opportunity for her. She sees it as just an opportunity. So she really just said, like, I work for Calhoun. This is my job. This is not personal. This is all that I'm doing. I think that it, it, her saying that it wasn't personal is just something she was saying. I think she believed and that Cal, Calhoun would take care of her. That's what I mean, you know what that reminds me of? Like Candace Owens. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to bring down this big black business and, you know, pretend like I care about black people. But then they, you can't act like you care about them and then do stuff to undercut them and try to bring them down. She was this, she, she, if she were real, she would have paved the way. For people Ugh. like Candace Owens. Ugh. <laughs> when Quick came back, he said, How was your date? I killed her. Oh, right. turn the pussy up, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, man, I killed her. <laughs> pussy was that bad, huh? <laughs> that was priceless. I, <laughs> I was not expecting him to say that. <laughs> it was well. Well-written comedy. It was. Yes. It was. I feel like the whole film was well-written. And while Eddie is the only person, only individual listed, um, credited as writing, they did say that a lot of that, uh, the ideas and some of the scripts uh, came from Charlie as well. And so he did a lot of the, some of the masterminding behind the actual de- development of the film. And so I just appreciate him for all of his jokes in the film as well. I think <laughs> that it was well-written. It was really still funny. But it also had a quality plot. It had like you understood the development of each character, who they were supposed to be playing, why they did the things that they did in the film. Like all of that made sense. And so I appreciate the film for its totality, even though like it doesn't get the respect that it does deserve. Mm -hmm. They should do a They should do a reboot or or maybe. I was going to ask you that. (laughs) You're always afraid they're going to mess it up. But like I liked coming to America, too. I'm not sure how they would. I mean, like, I want to know where they went after they left Harlem. And 
what did they? I mean, but uh, everybody's it's dead hard. except I must say, right gone. Mm-hmm. Everybody's That's dead. That's the hard part. This is truly a gem. Like to mm-hmm. have had them all on this film. Yeah, was really like you know a once in a lifetime thing, literally. So, mm-hmm. what do you? think about the quality of our comedians now in comparison to the ones that were in this film. Do you think that they could do something like this and pull something like this off? No. <laughs> that was real fast, too. Like, I was about to start I mean, thinking about it. And I, well, I, just, no. so I, I love comedy, and I'm that person that watch all the Netflix stand-up yeah, yeah. comedians and watch all of their movies, but sometimes I'm watching them and I'm like, Ugh, mm-hmm. I just can't take it. Some of them, their voices, I just can't stand to hear. Are they laughing? And I'm like, that wasn't even funny. Like, come on, please make me laugh for real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I, a lot of if they come co- together, they'd be bad. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Courtney. <laughs> <laughs> I think that a lot of the comedians at that time um, had the opportunity to really work out material and build their funny and build that strong um, comedic base by being on the road, by being in Black like there was the lack of the white gaze. And so they were able to communicate to black audiences and, and cater all of their jokes specifically to us so that they could get to the heart of the funny. And mm-hmm. I think that that is missing a little bit now because yeah. things are so different. And you have to try to cater to a wider, wider audience. If you, you want to make money. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And because of that and because of the disappearance of a lot of black uh centered comedy clubs and things like that people don't have the opportunity to build that up the same way now don't get me wrong we do have a lot of funny people in the business i agree um i just yeah. don't know if they i'm just could afraid make- of them coming together yeah yeah how that mm-hmm. would mesh yeah. together like mm-hmm. because i had told somebody the other day i had watched the michael che show um, yeah, yeah, that was on yeah. HBO Max mm-hmm. now and I had posted I was like I love Michael Che I think he's so funny but I just never get to see him because I don't watch Saturday Night Live because it's not funny and he's not funny yeah. on Saturday Night Live no. I keep no. trying to get back into Saturday Night Live but it's but why? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it in a minute now it I, it just depends on who's the guest star. I'm like okay now I might watch it and then I'm just maybe it's just Bad, bad. Honestly, no, because then I feel any... like I'm struggling to see people that I know are funny mm-hmm. be uncomfortable in the Saturday Night Live format. And it's, yeah. it's just not funny. Like Keenan, it does his thing on there. And yes, his stuff sometimes is funny. It's funny, he yeah. Knows how to, he knows how to make that balance, but everybody can't do that. I, I would like um, something more like In Living Color. Yes. Let's say it. Yeah, like another homie don't play that type right. skit, you know? But I don't know. And even with um, with Michael's, his series, um, it, seems, it seems like everything has to be politically correct now. Mm-hmm. And everything is just like, we're just not... Everything just is so focused on what's happening in our, in our society right now, which makes sense, you know, and trying to make it light and humorous sometimes just feels like awkward and it's like okay and I feel like funny is just different now too because I feel like Red Fox's his ad-libs in this film are everything to me then (laughs) watch out quick you're fucking with heavyweight like (laughs) the different (laughs) shit that he said all throughout this film I love Red Fox more more than Richard Pryor yes my favorite thing that Richard Pryor was ever in I was never too I know it was Mm -hmm. great for a lot of people I was never really into his comedy Mm -hmm. but um 
You know, it's funny that Richard said that he and Eddie didn't make a connection and that he actually um, felt that Eddie's Mur Eddie Murphy's um, humor or com um, comedy was mean and vulgar. Yeah. But this is really? also, we have to we have to think about the Richard of the time. This is 89. So this is after he went to Africa and stopped saying nigga. This is after he set himself on fire. So he calmed down a little bit with the drugs. Like he was getting sick during it. Mm. Like you can start to see that how frail he was in the film and see it in his face and everything. So like, it's not 70s Richard that was with all of the shits. It's <laughs> and almost he, 90s. <laughs> yeah, he was like, people try to blame him for, for Eddie coming in, like, you know, hot the way he did. Oh, you you paved the way or you made Eddie this way. He was like, I had nothing to do with that. You know, like you said, they were, it was almost like they were like this. Like, Richard was coming down to his decline. Eddie was going, you know, and, you know, they just happened to do some work together in this film. So. But that's what I feel like is the magic of this film. It happened right when it needed to. Yeah. All of those key players mm -hmm. were still there. Like Robin Harris is still in this movie. Like you have so many awesome people. It just came together at the right time and it worked and it fit. And I just appreciate the film for it. And I don't want nobody to try to recreate it because it, no. Leave it well, yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> uh, the last thing I want to talk about or just bring up was the <laughs> Richie. In sunshine, and put hey, put your mother on the phone. Hey, look, I ain't never coming home again. Take it easy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Just wanted to get y'all's take on him and sunshine real quick I, before we go. That's all I need. <laughs> uh, again, something that was common in back in the day. You could always leave, start a new family without <laughs> technology. <laughs> hey, everybody knows somebody oh. who's great. Granddaddy had it was my granddaddy, thank God. But it was your granddaddy had another family. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, no. oh I, I, no! I had a friend, and I I knew her, and I knew her cousin, and I knew their grandfather. He was a great man. We went to church together. But back in the day, when he was the mailman, he was delivering a lot more than the mail. Oh, oh no! So, I oh. mean. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you couldn't debit people's accounts for child support. Wow, he was literally delivering the letter D. My, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my, so my great-grandfather left his family and just didn't even go that far. Went from, um, it was Whitehall, Alabama. Just went to Birmingham, which I just oh. found out five years ago because of Ancestry.com. I found where his, uh, where oh, he his VA benefits. He just, when he passed away, just had kids. Damn, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going about my business. The Temptations had it right. Papa was a rolling stone. Hey, mm. uh, Jen Carmichael said everybody's grandfather is a terrible human being. <laughs> <laughs> Not mine. Grandfathers are just horrible people. <laughs> Not mine. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, uh, Sunshine had him whipped and it was all part of the plot. And she, you know, skated off into the sunset with everybody else to, to some unknown city. I do. I, now I will give you. I do want to know where they went afterwards. I just don't want a whole film. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe um, when Dr. B decides to write her letter, she'll write one to Eddie Murphy and say, just please answer for us where they where they yes. went. Yes. Get on that, Dr. B. Make it happen. Okay. Just tell us where they went. Okay. Maybe it's the the maybe on their celebration. Maybe in 2029, we can get like a 
a little, you know, screening of the film and he can, you know, do an interview, something nice and tell us where they went. Cause I need to know. I do need to know. I don't like, I don't like uh, not having closure on my films. Right. <laughs> they, pro- they probably went to Atlanta. You know oh, what? That's what it probably might right. You know, black people migrate to well, Atlanta. Then again, then again, it was the 30s and Atlanta was still. Mm-hmm. Atlanta, the 30s and the black Mecca it is today. They probably went to Chicago, Dr. Rosie B. Chicago. Oh, Chicago. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. We just see, we don't even need it, Eddie. We just did it for you. You're right. welcome. <laughs> yeah. So before we go, Dr. Asha, can you please tell um, the people how to reach you? Like, well, first, thank you for being on our show and agreeing to hang out with us and talk about another awesome movie and suggesting that we do Harlem Nights. We appreciate you for that. <laughs> <laughs> did I suggest that? Okay, I'm going to go with yeah, it. Yeah, you did. Okay. You did. He's like, I'll do Harlem Nights. I, like, yeah. <laughs> I kept it. I kept it in the back of my head. <laughs> hey, you remember way too much. But yes, okay. How can people find me? Um, Plug all your businesses and anything I, I, you got going on. I, I got a lot going on. Uh, but <laughs> I the stuff always, you want us to know. <laughs> right, right. I can always be emailed at, so my name is spelled A S H A, last name is Dickerson, D I C K E R S O N. And I can always be found at asia.dickerson at gmail.com. Um, if you need counseling, I'm not taking anybody else, but I can always refer you to someone else. I do do counselor supervision. Again, just email for that. And that's it. Other than that, you can find out about my services at my website. It's asiadickerson.com. And hey. social media, right? Because that's what the young people like. No. I'm, on- <laughs> <laughs> I'm on Instagram at Dr. Underscore A-S-H-A-S-D. Same for my Twitter. Because I joined the Twitter two Indeed. months ago. I did. Not the did. Twitter. The Twitter. <laughs> I and you be the, the Twitter. Twitter, the Twitter I do. I do. The tweeting. <laughs> very <laughs> the rarely. Twittering. <laughs> very rarely, but when I do, people seem to like it. So I might tweet uh-huh. a You might I, be on to something. I do it and then I forget I have it and then it sits there for a week. But I'm, I'm going to mm. do better. All right. <laughs> Thank you again. We appreciate you. <laughs> and to all the listeners, if you would like to support the show to help us get more content out to you all, you can visit our website and follow the support the link to become a Patreon member or donate on our cash app. Now, we're happy to get the kind of money that jingles, but we'd rather the kind that folds. As always, be sure to follow us on Instagram at the DSM podcast, and you can subscribe to our show wherever you get podcasts. While you're there, go ahead and leave us a comment because we are counselors and actually care about what you have to say. Until next time, y'all. Peace. Okay, bye.